Hello, Matthew Grant here. Welcome back. Or if it's your first time, well, I'm delighted you have discovered us. Now, seven years ago, that's in the early days of InsureTech, a lot of the talk was about data and how access to so much new information was going to radically change the world of insurance. Apparently, more data was created in the last two years than in all of previous history. Well, how often have you heard that phrase? Now, it may or may not be true, but one thing is for sure. When there's a lot of anything around, it generally gets messy and it gets hard to find what you want. And I'm sure most of us can relate to that. Fortunately, this love of data and some of the inherent chaos has also created an opportunity for companies to build solutions to tidy up the resulting messy ways data is stored and shared and help insurers get organized. Viper is one of those companies. It was founded in pre-insuretech days and has evolved to help insurers deal with a problem which, as I refer to later on, shouldn't really exist but does. Now, having helped tidy up everyone's data, the team at Viper are now realizing they can also deliver some helpful insights along the way. Viper was sold by the founders, Richard and Robert Brown, a couple of years ago, handing over the reins to today's guest and current CEO, Paul Templer. Paul, really pleased to have a chance to catch up with you today. I've been following Viper for a number of years and really intrigued to see what's happened since you were founded in 2009. You're uh, a data analytics platform, amongst other things. We're going to be talking more about that as we go on. You announced an investment by Tenzing Private Equity in 2020. And I know you're going to be using this to expand the support of what you're doing, offering that to underwriters and data analysts generally. (laughs) Paul, welcome. Thank you, Matthew. Good to be here. So you yourself personally, you've been with Viper, I think, right since the very beginning, back in, in 2009. What were you doing at the company when you started? My focus was really on the technology side of things. So I was charged with with starting to build out some of the early products, starting to do some R&D development of those. And that really sort of morphed into um, working with customers, figuring out what the, what the needs of the market were to get us to, to our, our, our first set of products. And then you took over as CEO in 2019. I think probably your best known, and we can talk about the clients in a moment, for helping insurers sort out the data coming in. Uh, I know that's still the core offering, but maybe can we just start off with you know, what, what's the sort of the heart of what we do or what you do at Viper and some of the products you've got to do that? We historically have been really well known for uh, boardroom management. So that's basically where data is coming in from third parties and it normally comes in on a, on a spreadsheet basis. And because those spreadsheets are not to any particular standard, um, our software helps to standardize that data, but it also runs a, a very comprehensive set of checks against the data to make sure all the contract terms and conditions are adhered to. Soon after that, moved into things like anal- analytics upon that data that we're processing, and also things like onboarding um, products. So where we've got third parties such as cover holders in the Lloyd's market um, that are, are looking to do business, we have products that will help with that onboarding process, do all the due diligence checks, and then ongoing monitoring uh, of that. We started, it was very much within the delegated underwriting space where we were uh, focused. And really, where we've we've come um, from there is we've we've adapted and evolved our products to make that data journey much more seamless. So, so to provide products that allow people to supply data in much more um, seamless ways, so that we can get an end-to-end journey from cradle to grave uh, very very efficiently. And you mentioned Bordereau in there for those not familiar with, I think it's mostly London market terminology. Could you explain what a Bordereau is? 
Yeah, of course. In essence, a boardroom is is simply a, a report. So where we're talking about delegated authority, we're talking about underwriters allowing a third party to underwrite insurance on their behalf. And as a requirement of that, that third party has to send in information, usually monthly, um, and that will consist of information about risks that have been written, premiums that have been collected, and claims that have been made. So in essence, if you think of a board row as uh, a, a table of data on a spreadsheet, um, each line of that table representing uh, some information about a risk, that that's really what we're talking about. And this is what I often describe as a problem that shouldn't really exist because really if people were using similar standards and more interconnected systems, then we wouldn't need still to be relying on spreadsheets. But what do you, what do you think has been the, the barrier to better communication between insurance companies and, and their brokers and I guess ultimately their clients. I mean, why isn't that information just flowing more smoothly across the market? I think really historically, Excel has always been the lowest common denominator way of supplying data. So when you're talking about thousands of, of cover holders, so they're the people that have got the, the delegated um, authority um, to, to underwrite this, this insurance business. Um, there's a lot of them out there. Historically, they've been allowed to supply data in whatever fashion they want to. And quite often, they're restricted by the systems that they're using as to what the outputs can be. And quite often, Lloyd's um, and London markets are just one of the markets they're dealing with. So to have to adapt their systems to produce certain outputs for certain markets becomes quite costly for them. So quite often what's happening is that um, the brokers and the end insurers are using software such as ours to bring in that data so they can accept it in whatever whatever format it's provided and then transform it into a standard uh, from from where they can start to to do their analytics and ultimately share on with other parties. Okay, so that's encouraging. So the brokers are actually helping solve the problem, I guess, further or I say upstream, so that as it flows through to the insurers, they've actually already been cleaning it up with your technology and therefore everyone benefits. Yeah, absolutely. We've got a number of brokers, um, large and medium brokers using uh, our platform now. And, and it's exactly that. They're able to take that, that non-standard data, scrub it, cleanse it, standardize it, and output it in a format that is compatible with one of the standards on the market. Okay. And so you talked a bit about the sort of data cleansing aspect of it. And you mentioned compliance in there. Can you just give some examples about what kind of compliance checks insurers need to do and how do you help them with that? When a insurer is delegating their, their underwriting authority to a third party, that has to be within some, some quite strict terms. So it might be that you can underwrite property business within a certain territory up to a certain value of a certain construction type. That those, those types of parameters are going to be set within, within the terms and conditions of that underwriting arrangement. So within our platform, we mirror those rules. So as data is coming through, we can check that it's the right limits, the right commission's been taken, it's the right territory. Uh, we can look at aggregations uh, and various other elements of that contract to make sure that when we process the data, we can make the insurer or the broker fully aware of where there might be some breaches. Um, and in addition to that, of course, we are checking basic stuff like is a day to date, is a number a number, that those sorts of things. So there's a lot of lot of cleansing that's going on. And what we produce is a very comprehensive report to explain where the potential problems are. Um, we we use a traffic light system, so that allows the the end user to to make some decisions as to how they deal with that data. What's the balance, do you think, between 
data entry errors that people have got wrong versus just gaps in the information that people haven't added or haven't entered it? I mean, are, we, are you trying to sort of solve the problem of human error or is it more a problem of just lack of data going in in the first place? It's both of the above. So um, we're certainly seeing that in a lot of cases, whilst data is exported from a system, it may be manually manipulated prior to sending on to, to the broker or, or the insurer. So that can lead to um, errors. Sometimes the data simply isn't there. Um, so again, it's missing from source. So so that, that would flag. And sometimes the entity that we're dealing with is is very specialized in what they do, but perhaps not technically sophisticated. So they literally are filling out these reports by hand. And that indeed leads to, to, to manual um, human error. Hopefully by hand typing, not by hand using a quill <laughs> well, pen. Well, you say that. I think historically we've seen all sorts. We have seen handwritten, faxed uh, documents coming through. So uh, yeah, I think, thank goodness they are electronic in some form these days. But uh, yeah, there the certainly have been a, a wide variety coming through. Yeah, fortunately, the uh, ingenuity and innovation of technology is, is just keeping one step ahead of the uh, the kind of rather slow pace uh, and probably even the sort of old-fashioned way people are doing things to be able to convert even handwriting these days into digital. <laughs> you mentioned the, the companies out there on clients you're working with. You've got certainly a, a very good roster of names on your website, but it is in terms of sort of scoping the size. Can you give a sense as to how many companies you're working with and any names you can share? We work with around about 40 customers in total, and they range from top 10 Lloyds managing, managing agents, uh, top non-Lloyds, so company, UK company markets, uh, entities, general insurance in the UK, and then also uh, further afield. So we have customers in Bermuda and the US. Um, so, so we are quite well spread geographically. Um, last year, we actually signed up a couple of new customers in Europe as well. So, so we are, um, our footprint is certainly not just London. It, it is wider than that. And as you rightly say on our website, there's a whole range of, of companies that you would have heard of, um, people like uh, Everest, Access, uh, Channel, et cetera. Some of our customers have been with us for almost the entire time that we've been in business. Um, and I think that's just testament to the hard work that the team does to produce a great product, but also give some, some excellent customer service. Yeah, and certainly this, this theme around, I know you're doing more than just data ingestion, and extraction, but the work we did, we did a report on this last year, and we've just done the survey of about 120 companies. You'll be pleased to know it's coming out in the top three of areas that insurers are still interested in, and, and also a very active area. And actually, interestingly, an active area for companies that are building analytics to do other things are also finding they need to actually get better at importing the data. As we'll talk in a minute about as you've grown the business, you've come at it from a sort of almost the other way around, you've actually helped people solve the problem of how to import data and get better data. And now that gives the ability to do some really interesting analytics with it. But it's certainly, yeah, it's a very top theme for people. I just want to talk a bit about the investment from Tenzing though. I mean, people who follow technology and innovation and insurtech will most be aware of funding from venture capital firms and then increasingly seeing acquisitions by other larger companies buying up some of the early stage ones. But but private equity is slightly different in terms of what they look for and their and their appetite with their investments. So can you can you just explain a little bit of the difference uh, between you know what you went to look for from a private equity firm versus a, a VC firm and then what does that actually mean from a practical point of view for the business? 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I think as a business looking to to scale up and to grow, things like PE are an excellent option for us. As you rightly said, there are kind of three options here. There's, there's venture capital, private equity, and also a, a trade acquisition. So where another business might buy you. I think the main difference between a venture capital firm and a PE firm is that venture capital tend to invest quite diversely. They, they will invest in a lot of businesses, hoping to find a unicorn or, or or a couple that do really well for them. Whereas PE, as far as I can see, are much more picky in what they invest in. They're looking to um, create a return for their investors, and they are very, very selective as to what businesses they will invest in. And I think that's really what Tenzing saw in us, that, that we were um, a, a very good business already. But with their help, we can become a, a, a lot, lot, uh, lot better and, and certainly grow. So you've got the money now. You've set some expectations. You've, you've got a strong client base, not just in numbers, but also in the types of companies you're working with. So, so what does the future look like for Viper? I'm really, really excited and very bullish about, about our future. We've talked a lot about London market and Lloyd's already, and that will always be a key market for us. But also, we are really focused on looking further afield. So North America, for example, uh, expanding into, into North America, doing some more work in Bermuda, um, I think will really be um, our focus over the next couple of years. And just sort of picking up a bit on the, the sort of what of what you're going to do, maybe just starting with that America expansion Slightly different challenges in there, I believe. I mean, they have their excess and surplus market. They are gathering data. But when you look at the US, is it, is it replicating what you've been doing over here in the UK? Or is that also part of where you're growing into some new areas? We've launched some new products recently, which really well complement the products that we, we already have on the market. So things like um, our portal, uh, which has things like API capability for ingesting data, and our new Insights product, which is um, some very, very comprehensive analytics that would allow uh, underwriters to really get a, a, a good feel of their portfolio and all the aspects around it. We've also brought to market our Insurance Data Cloud, which is a product that allows for data to be shared once processed. So, so that um, as a whole, so from the portal through Intrali into the cloud and, and then um, with the insights reporting analytics on top, it gives a very well-rounded proposition as I say, from cradle to grave. Um, what we found in, in North America and the United States is that actually the need is very, very similar, uh, as you say, with their ENS market, with their program business, um, with their uh, schedule of values for property business. It's, um, it's very much the same issue where data is coming in on spreadsheet in different formats, and there's a need to, to aggregate that data and, and to cleanse and check it. Um, so, yeah, we're certainly finding that it's very much the same uh, issue and those customers that we already have in those territories are using the product as we have it with little or no change. And you, you mentioned there about sharing data, is that sharing it between different parties on the Viper system or is it just within what, inside one organisation? 
Yeah, it, it, it's 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 an interesting approach that we've taken in that historically, if you were going to share data, so, so let let's just roll back to the Lloyd's market as an example, uh, a subscription market, you might have several insurers that are are participating on an insurance risk. So that broker would be cleansing data, extracting it probably again into an Excel format and emailing it out to those four or five different insurers. If a change needs to be made, then they make that change and, and redistribute that data. So now you've got multiple copies of, of, of the, the truth floating about. So what we have is a, a cloud proposition where we put data into a central cloud warehouse, essentially, and we keep that data in sync. So any changes that are made to the data automatically are reflected within that pool of data. And from there, the um, other parties can simply come into that cloud, pick up the data that that they own and work with it. And they know then that that version is the latest version of the truth. And they can do that by either extracting the data or simply connecting to it like a database. So it's a very elegant solution that means you don't have to have multiple copies of data flying around. Uh, and it's 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 something you always know is completely up to date regardless who of who's asked for changes to that data. The real benefit here, of course, is that you don't need to be a Viper customer to gain access to that that data. So if out of those five insurers, three were Viper customers and two weren't, it all five can still have have access to that data and use it. You don't have to have to necessarily have Viper products to do that. There are mechanisms that we have to allow allow that sharing. Uh, that's excellent. I mean, it's a really powerful way of building up the network effect because presumably, if you've got people who aren't necessarily customers today. But they get access to the data. They like what you're doing. That's a wonderful way to learn about some new opportunities and some new clients. Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely right. You've talked a little bit about this, but you mentioned the API. But how, how does that work when companies that are getting third-party data, for example, for enhancements or underwriting systems, want to make it more seamless for their their own internal teams? Are you able to plug in quite cleanly into other systems out there so that you're essentially you're not trying to disrupt the workflow or having to disrupt the workflow? Absolutely. So routinely, when we install one of our products, we're, we're quite often plugging into a customer's uh, underwriting platform policy admin system. And it depends on that product as to how elegantly that can be achieved. So, so some of the systems simply do not produce APIs. So we're, we're able to do that through other mechanisms. Um, those that do produce APIs, uh, we are absolutely able to, to, to utilize those and plug in. So typically what we're doing is we're taking uh, a lot of the, the terms and conditions that we are checking within our product from those underwriting platforms policy admin systems and pulling them in. We are also able then to take some of the data that we've um, we've produced and push it back to those policy admin systems. And, and it's not unusual for us then to go on and push that data into other platforms like uh, accounting platforms and, and ledgers, that sort of thing. And then Paul, just because we like to make things simple uh, for me, if not for our listeners, uh, as you look forward, can you describe three areas that maybe you personally are most excited about that we're going to be seeing coming from Viper in the next year or so? There are three pillars that we are really keen to, to, to deliver on. The first one is efficiencies. So we're, we're going to be looking at ways, or we are actually delivering ways already, that data can be more seamlessly supplied and processed through our systems. So as an example of that, we have our portal now, which is a web-based um, portal that allows third parties to deposit data. Um, and that can be done by logging in, 
via API or very simply emailing data to the portal. So, so, so that, that's a, a very simple way of consuming data. To the same sort of part, we're also launching this month our straight through processing capability. So this is where we're reducing the number of clicks needed to process data. So where data gets deposited through, wherever possible, that data will be processed all the way through without human intervention. So, so, so th those things in combination lead to that efficiency um, pillar that, that we're looking for. The next pillar is, is about data sharing. So this is about making it much more easy for parties to gain access to the data. Um, so this is really where the insurance data cloud comes in. So once data has been cleansed, it gets put into the cloud um, and has a constant sync on it. So any changes reflected and that way we can invite in customers and non-customers and non to collect that data process it and use it for their own needs and of course down the line we can connect with other other Lloyd systems to, to push that data through as well as as APIs from Lloyd's come online so that's really sort of the, the sharing element and then the third piece is the analytical element of it so historically customers have collected a lot of data but not done a great deal with it we are about to launch a complete suite of insight reports that are, I mean, I'm completely blown away by these. They give fantastic information to underwriters, delegated teams, CFOs, etc., all about the portfolio of data that's being processed. It's joining up the premium paid, the, the risk written, and the claims information, um, giving a lot of lot of data and allowing you to drill down into that data and to find out more, to really interrogate the information you have. And that's going to give really essential underwriting information that probably isn't easily gleaned at the moment that could make a huge difference to the profitability of some of these books of business. The benefit you have with established companies, and as you said, ones that have been with you for a long time, is that you've actually got people that can tell you directly what they want and you've got access to them. So, so how, how does that work as you're looking at these new products and you want to make sure you're building things that people are actually going to use and presumably pay you for? How, how do you work with your customers, maybe prospective customers, to understand and, and define the new products you're building? Something we've done historically and is a long-standing thing are our user groups. So this is really where we get our customers together. It's been virtually of late, but we actually held our first face-to-face -face, uh, in-person event a couple of months ago. And this really allows us to share where we're going as a business, the thoughts that we have, and to, and to get some high-level feedback. But what we've done more recently is we've started to introduce um, special interest groups. So this is where we might say, okay, we're, we're looking to develop our portal, who would like to participate in the kind of a steering group really of that particular product. So then we get a group of customers together. Again, we'll meet regularly, talk through how we're looking to, to drive that, that that forward. And sometimes, you know how it works, you, you think you've got the best idea in the world, you run it past a customer and they, they shoot it down in flames and say, no, it'd be much better if you did it this way. So that really allows us to, to drive the direction of, of, of the, the products and to, to make sure we're producing the right thing. And Paul, just to bring this to life, are there any examples you can share with us where you, people are now starting to get access to some of the new analytics you're doing and, and seeing the benefit from those? During sort of the market acceptance testing phase, if you like, of the product, we, we put it in front of a, of a couple of underwriters and they were genuinely astonished at, at what they were looking at. It was showing them information that they just didn't know about their portfolio. 
and we were able to produce some stats and to, to drill down into the data. And it gave them some really clear insights as to certain areas of the portfolio that were performing far better than they expected and other areas where they, you know, it was obvious where the problem was. And I think that's really what it's bringing to the party. It's the case that they can look at data and say, well, look, if I stop writing this type of business in this territory, my portfolio will be better, my loss ratios will improve. And I genuinely believe that as a result of that, we will start to see improvements in underwriting results in those areas through simply being able to much more readily see what is going on in those portfolios. Yeah, that's it's a really interesting example of how you've switched from originally coming in and telling people what problems they have and how to go and solve it to now you're coming in and actually you're giving them some good news and some real actionable insights. You're sort of moving just data because people talk about data a lot, but they you know, forget that it needs to be actionable into something where people can really make an impact on their day-to-day business and, of course, save money and potentially make money. So, Paul, Viper's been going for 13 years. You've got some really strong clients now, a lot going on. For anybody that gets asked after listening to this, what, what were Matthew and Paul talking about uh, what would you advise them to go and, uh, and and tell everybody? We do not want to uh, lose our very strong heritage in boardroom management. We've learned so much about the delegated underwriting arena, uh, how to process data, et cetera, in doing that. And that is absolutely one of our key strengths. But I'd absolutely want people to take away from this the fact that we have a broad range of product that can assist with anybody that, that's in that um, delegated underwriting arena. And also that we're not just a London market company. We are an international company. We have customers worldwide. And really, we're able to help anybody in delegated or underwriting, regardless of their, their geography. And then finally, I just want to say thank you very much for your support for what we're doing at Instec. And it would be good to just hear you know, why you decided to become one of our members. You and I have, have, have known each other for some time, Matthew, and um, I think joining Instec was really sort of twofold. One was to have access to that community of peers, so our, um, the other vendors in the market and just really build up that network, but also to be able to show to the industry what we do as a business and to sort of um, have it as a, um, a, a shouting point that we can actually say, look, you know, that this is what we do. And it really gives us that platform to be able to do that. Great. Well, thank you very much. And hopefully now we're back doing live events and the next one up will be on the 29th of March talking about uh, MGAs to insurers. So uh, quite a lot of your existing or potential customers in the audience as well. So I'm hopefully we'll see a number of you and your colleagues from Viper and a chance to you know, meet the 200 or so people that, that turn up. So no, thank you very much for support. And Paul, it's been really, really interesting to hear where you've been going. And I really look forward to catching up in maybe next year once you deliver even more of these new areas that you've been, you've been building on. But you know, congratulations for such a successful story. Thank you, Matthew. Appreciate your time today. Well, Caroline, you've been very patiently listening in whilst Paul and I have been talking. And as you are representing marketing for Viper, is there anything that we've missed or maybe even anything that we shouldn't have said that we should take out, which we will edit, of course. Uh, but I'd just yeah, love to get some words from you as you've been listening to us talking for the last half an hour. Head to www.vipersolutions.com. We've just launched our new website, plenty of information there, and gives a, a very interactive overview of what Paul has described, what our product offering is. Um, and also to follow us on LinkedIn, of course, we're quite active there with all our release and newsworthy pieces and um, with all the product development going on. Mm-hmm.
Well, I think we're going to be hearing more from Viper this year. As I mentioned, we've recently released our survey looking at what insurers want and what they are building across 15 different themes of technology innovation. Well, with over 150 members of Instech today around the world, we had a lot to work with. The results are quite revealing. The survey is for our corporate members only, but if you are interested in learning more about what we can do to help you, whether you're an insurer, technology company, investor, or consultant, then contact me, Matthew Grant, on LinkedIn, or any of us, hello, at Instech London. If it sounds like there is something we can do together, we'd be happy to share that report. In the meantime, everything that we're up to is on the website, www.instech.london, including details of our next live event in London on the 29th of March. See you there, maybe.